Thank you for tuning into the weekly sermon from Journey of Hope, a United Methodist community. We are a welcoming community that fosters belonging and acceptance. Through ministries, we enable individuals to transform their lives as they learn to follow Jesus Christ. We follow the guidance of the Spirit in sharing our faith through missional adventures, building relationships, and offering our witness to our community and world. We serve the Elgin, Illinois area and are located at the corner of Randall Road and Highland. To learn more about us, you can check us out at johumc.org or any of our social media platforms by searching Journey of Hope. And now, here is this week's message. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him by saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all the righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. May God bless the reading, hearing, and understanding of his word. Amen. Good morning. Well, a couple things before we begin. Uh, I think, uh, Jared, we need to send you off to some training uh, for quick change artists uh, between pastor robe choir robe, coming down, doing all these wonderful things that you do. I'm glad you were uh, so well appreciated here uh, today. You are a a gift. You are a blessing not only to here but to our conference, and I really mean that. So God bless you. And I want to tell you, you're my favorite church in the whole wide world Uh, (laughs) because I've been doing a district superintendent now for five years, and this is the very, very, very first time anyone has ever given me anything, and if that's what I think it really is, that's my favorite kind of anything. So, um, God bless you. I think we're done here. Uh, We can just go home now. It's wonderful. But seriously, thank you so much for that gift as well. Would you pray with me? God, I just ask that the words that come from my mouth be yours, for what I might dare to utter is limited, but your words are limitless. Let us hear you today. Amen. That's a prayer I always say and I tr- when I preach, and I mean that because I, I truly believe I'm a very limited person. What, what could I have to offer? You know, how, how could I speak something about God to, to others? And I'm reminded of the story of a pastor who was preaching, and at the end of the service he did, I don't know if you do this here, do you stand at the exits and greet people? Okay, so he would do that as well, and people would come by, and typically what people say to you if you're a pastor standing at the exits is, that was a nice sermon, even if they don't mean it. They say, it's a nice sermon. And so he would say, thank you, thank you, thank you, and he was getting tired of just saying thank you. He wanted something better to say, so he came up with something he thought was brilliant, and that was, thank you, it's not me, it's God humble way to approach it, and it's God's words, and he felt pretty good about it. So he was, uh, gave a sermon the next week, and he was standing at the exit, and his mother was there that day, and she came out, and she shook his hand and said, honey, that was a real nice sermon, and he said, oh, thanks, mom, it's not me, it's God, and she looked at him dead in the eye as only a mother could do, and said, honey, it wasn't that good. 
Let's all just sit back and listen to God speak today, because really, if you listen to me, it ain't that good. Try to hear God in the midst. God's speaking somewhere. And I know it always happens. It'll be words that I don't even speak to you. But let's try to focus on God today. So I'd like to set before us a problem that we face as human beings, uh, but especially and also as Christians. And the problem that we face in this world today is that we are disconnected more than ever. Obviously, the big one out there is COVID. That has disconnected us. I just read a report that shared that the people who live in homes now can't even name the names of the people who live on either side of them. The majority of Americans don't know the names of their neighbors. We're disconnected. You all know what happens in politics. We are disconnected. Distrust uh, of each other in the world, disconnected. But the world is craving connection at the same time. And as United Methodists, that's one of our strongest attributes. We are a connectional church, a connectional system. And so people wonder, does the church have anything to offer? And I say, yes, more than ever, we are relevant to a world today. And we have something to offer that the world desperately needs. And for Jesus, this understanding was quite simple, and it was shown in the scripture we saw today in baptism. Connection. He says, remember in the scripture, he says, John, I don't, or John says to him, I don't, I shouldn't baptize you. Who am I? And Jesus says, no, and this time, this place, yes, you should do this. Why? Because he needed him to baptize? No, he didn't need any human being to baptize him, but he wanted to make that connection to humanity. And now think of this holding out his hand to John holding on or John touching him but that connection and then right after the Holy Spirit comes and lights upon Jesus like a dove almost like Jesus the conduit connecting to humanity and then connecting to the creator connection very simple for Jesus that was a very important thing he says in Matthew 22 love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the greatest and most important commandment and the second is like this love your neighbor all the law and all the prophets depend on these two commandments he said however as humanity is apt to do we overcomplicate things We overthink things. We manipulate things to our limited understanding or worse, to distort understanding for our own gain. And believe it, it's also that way in the church. Now, don't get me wrong. It's important to think. It's important to to have a a good thinking. Overthinking um, um, is, you know, did we overthink things? That's the title. But think about this. I believe that it's true that we should have a brain. The United Methodist Church values intelligence, values science, values the mind, values reasoning, reason. And even though we understand authority comes from Scripture, we understand that the brain is an important and precious gift of God. The founder of John Wesley said this over and over and over again, how important it was to think. He actually wrote a book called Primitive Physic, which was an early medical uh, book, so that when his um, educated pastors were on the circuit, sometimes they were the most educated people in the area, and they'd go to areas where there are no doctors. So he taught his people how to heal people with science and medicine. We are clear as United Methodists 
the, um, that there's a long and difficult process of ordination, amen? <laughs> we, but we desire people to ar- be able to articulate theology. We desire people to have a deep and thoughtful and cr- understanding of, of their faith, that they can critically uh, look at, at different views and understand them. In fact, one of the hallmarks of, of Methodism is the desire to have a strong, educated laity. That we should have laity who can teach the Bible as well as pastors. But there's a danger if we shift uh, um, everything we have of faith from the heart, away from the heart, to the mind only. And the passion and compassion of faith can be lost. Or w- there's a danger when we try to explain things so much so that maybe we shouldn't because it loses its meaning in our small minds. So hear this modern-day parable. So this is something that uh, uh, happened to me and I was a part of 35 years ago. I was a youth director, and uh, I had a huge program in Whitefish Bay, uh, Wisconsin. I don't know if you know where Whitefish Bay is, just north of Milwaukee. And we met with other youth uh, professionals in the area uh, to gather and talk about what we're doing, right? Because we didn't want to be alone. And, and, and that was kind of the, the really high point of youth ministries. I mean, we took 180 kids on a mission trip. Um, it was the time when you could be a small church and you still have 40 youth. I mean, it just happened, right? So it was an important thing. So we had about five or six of us that met. And there was a youth director from a Presbyterian church. She was the spouse of the pastor. And she told me this story. She said that they were doing a thing called Youth Sunday. Do you know what Youth Sunday is? That's when the youth do everything. They preach, they teach, the pastor sits back, and they just do it all. Well, they were going to do the prodigal son, and they always did a little theater production during the midst of it. And so instead of a son, they had a daughter. And if you know the prodigal son, he goes away, spends all of his inheritance, but he becomes a pig feeder, basically. He feeds and slops the pig food. And in fact, he even laments later on, the prodigal son does in Scripture, that, oh, if only I could eat as well as the pigs. Right? So it's a bad job. So they're trying to think, well, what can we do that, in drama that would be a bad job? And they didn't want to bring in a pig. They didn't have access to a pig. But the parsonage was being redone. So all the bathroom was gutted, and the uh, things from the bathroom were outside on the front getting ready for, to be picked up. So they saw the toilet, and they said, ha, she'll be a toilet bowl cleaner. So they brought the toilet in. They put it right up in front of the altar. Now imagine the people coming in that day. So anyway, long story they, short, they, they did the Sunday, she did the cleaning, everybody got the point of what they're doing. It's wonderful, they celebrated it. And there was a big church, so they had three services that Sunday. And the youth director friend of mine was very, very tired by the end of the day, and, and she had to clean up. Now, that week, all the other things in front of her house were picked up to, to be taken away, so she had to get rid of the toilet. So one of the last things to clean up was the toilet. She said, okay, um, she called two eighth grade boys, said, boys, take the toilet, put it in my green van, it's sitting outside, it's open, just put it in the back, I'll get rid of it. So the boys, okay, lift up the toilet, bring it out, put it in her van. She's really tired by this time. She goes out with a few more boxes, opens up her van, and no toilet. Now she's putting together her math. Two eighth grade boys, one toilet. Not good. So she's tired, like I said, so she calls the boys, boys! They come running over and she goes, what did you do with that toilet? I said, well, put it in your van. She said, come here. She marched them out and she opened up her van. She pointed inside and said, no toilet. And the boys looked up at her. Their 
faces were just flushed and scared. And she's like, what? She said, you don't have a white van. And she said, no. That's where we put it. (laughs) So, of course, the white van was gone. They came back the next week early to apologize to whoever had the white van. They didn't come that Sunday. So they came back the next week, no white van. So they had a youth group night where they called every member of the church asking if they had a white van that day so they could apologize. Nobody did. They came to find out it was a visitor that day. (laughs) Can you imagine the ride home? So honey, what did you take away from the sermon today? Some people think that's what the church has to offer, nothing but garbage. It's a modern-day parable for us, I think, in some ways, right? Consider what's happening in politics, not only outside of the church, but in the church. People say, well, the church is splitting. Well, it's not, by the way. There are some people who might leave the denomination, but we're not splitting. We're going to be United Methodists. That's a guarantee. Same as always. But it seems like we cannot have intelligent conversations without being mean to one another. We seek debate, and we seek to prove we are right. Discourse has been hijacked by competition, seeking to prove one side, to dominate and humiliate the other. In fact, uh, I was a government major in, in college, and my friends who are still in the area say to me all the time, it's really now, it's true, it is a political uh, agenda and a technique where they teach their candidates Say something so often, even when you know it's a lie, because after six times, people hearing that will believe it's true. So how can we trust one another? Now, certainly Jesus wasn't afraid of debate. We saw him debating all the time. Yet, more often than not, he pushed people into action, acts of love, instead of talking about it, listening over speaking. He debated when necessary, but he was more apt to show compassion and kindness and healing and love for others than to talk about it. Remember, Christianity spread because people told of the good things Jesus did more so than what he said. It's what we need to do. So what are we to do as disciples? Be this kind of church. Be the kind of church that loves outrageously, that is kind in the midst of hostility, that forgives even when it seems impossible, that is radical in hospitality to strangers, for Scripture says you might be entertaining an actual angel. Be the kind of church that cares more about the other than the self. Be the kind of church that is less concerned about being right and more concerned about the welfare of others. Be that kind of church, and you'll find yourself relevant to the world. Secondly, we get so caught up in in all this discourse and overthinking that we naturally go down rabbit holes. We seek to know the answers right away. How many of you, if you hear something and you want to know the truth, you go right to Google? Not your app. Your app is totally true everywhere. (laughs) But you jump in and you go to Google and you look. And by the way, I've learned this from some friends in this area too. You don't look on the first couple pages of a search engine. You go to the third or fourth because the first two are dominated by people who've either paid for it or made algorithms to put theirs first. It doesn't mean they're true. Right? So we get caught up. We want to know right away. And what happens is we, we don't get the answers or we find out people have lied to us or we're so battled with one another to prove we are right that anxiety and depression skyrockets. And we're seeing that right now. Those of you in the medical world, you know that. We just get lost in this, in this sense of just um, uh, what's right, what's wrong. We don't know. We're debating. 
I mean, there's no better example than if you look up peanut butter and jelly sandwich making on, on the internet. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of pages of how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Seriously. In fact, I looked it up because I heard about this, and I found a, a, a couple sites. One of them in particular, people anonymously would be mean to one another because they were crunchy people rather than creamy. It's true. They would actually say mean and really outrageously mean things. It's almost like Dr. Seuss and the Sneetches and the Leeches, whatever, not Leeches, whatever they were, uh, the stars on their bellies or not, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. This is unbelievable. How to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich would cause people to anonymously be mean to one another. Now, by the way, I'm, I'm an expert in this, so I'm going to tell you how to really do it. So you take, it's true, you take two pieces of bread, you put peanut butter on both pieces first before you put the jelly in between because the jelly won't seep through the bread then and make a mess. That's just, that's just fun. You know what? I know this is going to happen. You're all going to go home and say, what'd you hear today? Well, peanut butter and jelly something. Um, <laughs> but anyway, anxiety. But Jesus, Jesus says all the time, you know, this, I'm here to bring you peace. I'm here to bring you joy. He wanted to bring that to people. So be this kind of church. Keep loving people in the midst of denominational change. Don't worry that the church might change because it will. It always has and it always will. Do not worry about tomorrow, for we are promised good news and great joy. Do not worry about finances, carpet color, or all the little things that keep your lay leaders up at night. Instead, be this. I'm going to say this this phrase, and I'd like you to repeat after me. Be an oasis of grace. Oasis of grace. Where people are filled, where people who are filled with anxiety might come and find peace and rest. That's the kind of church that will make you relevant. And then lastly, do not miss the mystery and awe. Do not just try to prove everything is right and wrong. Do not try to prove the facts or say you know what's better about Scripture and you know the right way or you don't know the right way. Just live in the mystery of it, the awe. That's part of the beauty of being a faithful person. Now, we have an image that's going to come up, and then there's also a paper that looks like this out as you leave that you can take with you. I don't know if you've been as interested in the Hubble and the New Web Telescope as I have been, pretty amazing. Look at that. Doesn't that look like a hand reaching up? That's actually called the Eagle Nebula. And the Eagle Nebula was captured in many images. You can see them, and they call it the Pillars of Creation because this is the beginning of a new star. It is so vast that I'm going to tell you the dimensions, and, and my math uh, professor over here can, can help me with this. I, I tried to do some math calculations. I can't do it. So my, my, my daughter is a math teacher could, but I, I couldn't get her in time. Um, the Earth is point zero 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 one five seven one four light years from the sun. So like low. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Mathematical. Um, the pillars of creation are five light years long. You wouldn't even see a dot between the, our sun and the Earth in that, Right? And even pictures like this that are full of almost infinite galaxies. Um, uh, I heard from a physicist, if you take a grain of sand and hold it up to the sky, that's what you're looking at. That's the amount of space. Right? It's just so big. And Jesus tells us to live by faith. But it's not just blind trust. It's more than that. It's being okay not to know the answers and to know it's okay and that it is good. To not be scared of the unknown, but to embrace it 
And there's a mystery that is just too large for us to ever get our heads around. I can't get my head around how big that really is. And if you go home and do point zero 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 one five, et cetera, into five light years, big, 38,000 or something. Just, and that's just a tiny little area in space. We are invited into this great mystery. And yet, God in this huge vastness says he can even count the number of hairs on your head. And those of you who are losing some, it's easier, I know. But, um, <laughs> but the reality is, what that says is, I care about you so much that in this vastness, I still love you. That's pretty awesome. So I can't know why God loves me. I can't know why God cares. I can't know any of this stuff fully. I can't explain it away. But my faith says I can find comfort in it. Because I do know God loves me. I do know God cares. I do know that I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. So be the kind of church that gives fewer answers, but fills people with awe. That lives in mystery, which gives permissions to live in the mystery of their own lives that they can't explain. Live in this amazing, incredible, and seemingly out-of-reach God, but yet a God who reaches out to us. Answers will only bring us so far. Faith will bring us to an incredible renewed sense of amazement. Be that kind of church. Amen. Son, Jesus Christ, with you and the Holy Spirit, lives and reigns forever. Amen.